1: Welcome to Maps Hysteria, a podcast all about married at first sight. And today I am extremely excited because myself and Omar are joined by an actual hero of mine. It's one of the experts from the show, the world's most prolific TV matchmaker. It's Mel Schilling. Yay! Yay. (laughs) Kelly and Omar, thank you so much for having me. You know, I'm actually a
2: fan of yours and I've been following your podcast for the last two years. So I'm a little bit starstruck
1: right now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you. That's amazing. I'm so using that on our posters. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yep, you can have
3: that. <laughs> did, uh, I mean, off fair. You did just say you were listening to him when you were walking near some cliffs and you were thinking about jumping. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Yes, I may have said that. Trigger warning. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, I should uh, I should clarify for the for the listeners that you're you're in Australia currently filming the upcoming series of Married at First Sight Australia. So we really yeah. appreciate you you doing this, given the time difference. I mean, it wasn't uh, like the launch party, which we were lucky enough to be invited to. We, was that five in the morning? You had to do that. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it was. It was. And then, of course, I got the lovely perimenopausal brain fog and forgot. Completely forgot what I was talking about in the middle of my chat. I don't know if you noticed, but
1: I did. So, no, it's a more civilised time of of night this time. I don't know if you could sort of gather it because you were on screen, but the response when you came on, I mean, the response to the other experts was amazing as well, but the response at the launch party when your face was on the screen, the room just lit up. It was amazing. You're so loved.
2: Oh, that's beautiful to hear. Thank you. I absolutely loved doing it. I was—I had such bad FOMO. I so wanted to be on that stage <laughs> with Paul and Charlene. I couldn't believe I wasn't there. So that was the second best thing, I guess.
3: Uh, if it's any consolation to you, I think I drank your share of the free cider. So,
2: <laughs> Thank you, Omar. I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, we sang Queen of <laughs> the Darkness, I
1: think it was called, wasn't
3: it? Yeah, Ooh, it, was, it was great, though. It was good to meet some of last year's cast and met Charlene. Paul was Paul was busy being interviewed by Lad Bible. I think you was <laughs> uh, <laughs> something I wanted to ask you first before we get onto Married at First Sight Australia. Was I saw you post on social media, you dancing, so a dance dance <laughs> that yes, you did, and yes. I don't know. I think it is just I'm so used to just seeing you sat on a chair <laughs> <laughs> giving out giving right? out advice that it was just, it was a real shock. And you mentioned Strictly, and we talked about how the room lit up at the launch party. If you were on Strictly, I'd every week voting for you, definitely. I hope you get that. You were amazing as well.
2: Thank you. You didn't know I had legs, did you? <laughs> you did not know I had legs on maths. We were like little hand puppets. Um, I do have legs and I do love to dance. And this is something I've just recently returned to. I, I was very much in the theatre as big theatre nerd as a kid growing up and you know went on to you know produce and direct and choreograph loads of, of music theatre that is my passion you know you probably don't hear a lot about that side of me um huge drama queen uh, <laughs> and so yes that was me in a dance class and
1: yes I've I've got my eye on Strictly. Watch this Well, because I actually signed up for one of your confidence masterclasses, which we're going to talk more about in a bit. But you shared a story of when you went to a dance class and it was a little bit more advanced than you'd first thought. Yes.
2: Yes. And the takeaway message, I think, from that one was failure is feedback. And that was me practising what I coach. And it's really, really hard. It's easier to, to, to suggest other people do it. Doing it yourself is so much harder. (laughs)
1: <laughs> At what point in the dance class did you note, know, did you think, hang on, I'm a little out of my depth here?
2: <laughs> you know what? It was the moment we started, we, we did all the warm ups and we were starting to do the, you know, the, the moves across the room, like the little combinations. And all of the girls, and I say girls because they were aged between probably 14 and 16, the incredible, you know, flexible pubescent things, and one girl just breathed and her leg came up to here. Um, it's, a, it's a podcast. It's, a, it's not a visual medium, but my, my, my arm is up by my ear, as so though that's where the leg was. And they said, we're going to do some jump turns and we're going to do an axle turn, which is basically where you do a turn, you tuck your, your legs up. And I thought in that moment, I don't know if my ankles will hold me when I land. I might shatter my ankles if I land on them. I don't trust them. I think I need to exit stage left. Oh, I did. We had a stiff drink. Oh,
3: God. It's so it's so interesting just seeing seeing someone out of out of context. Because we've seen you for right. years on um yeah. on Married at First Sight Australia, especially, which is how how I got into into the programme. And yeah, it's just it was just a shock to see you up and doing things. And it's you get you get yeah. kind of fixated on people, just the, the one perception that you have of them.
2: Yes and and I think there's a real danger of you know when you when you are involved in a show like this one that is a juggernaut you know and it just takes off of people sort of seeing you in that kind of one dimensional way and getting a little bit pigeonholed but um I'm going to put the word out there to watch this space because I've got some damn exciting projects coming up in the next year
1: Oh, oh amazing Mhm mhm While we Briefly, while we're on your other projects, um, I have been an avid fan of the confidence work that you do with women. And like I said, I signed up for the online masterclass. I am three quarters of the way through your new book, which you've got out, The C Word by Mel Wonderful. Shelley, The C Word being mm-hmm. confidence. And like I'd mentioned off air and I, I, I read a lot of self-help books. It is a brilliant one for the people listening at home. I've used some of it with my little girl who's dead anxious about going to school. I've just been telling mm. Mel that we um we made a little booklet yesterday with felt tip pens of things she could try to make herself feel more confident. But I was just wondering Love it. what led you to want to write that book? Mm.
2: It, it's been in me for a long time. You know, my, you, you might not know my, background is I I was a psychologist and I spent 20 years as a psychologist. And a lot of that work was working in organizations and, and coaching leaders and, you know, working with people around performance and high performance and, you know, working with high profile people and, you know, celebrities and leaders and sports people and so on. And I found that so often every conversation coaching conversation that we would have would come back to, to one of the aspects of confidence you know, and, and more often than not, that was about the self-talk and the, the stories people tell themselves that hold, hold them back. And I started to get a sense that, well, it wasn't a sense, it was a very clear observation that there's a real difference between men and women. There is this gender gap when it comes to confidence. And I started to get really curious about that. And I stumbled across this piece of research. It was actually conducted by Hewlett Packard. And what they did is they got a group of men and a group of women and got them to have a look at this position description, like a job description, and to basically assess themselves against this position description. And then make a call as to whether or not they put themselves forward for this job. And what they discovered was that the men would apply for the job if they met 60% of the criteria. So there's a 40% gap, but the men still look at it and go, oh, no worries, I'm going to jump in and take a risk. I'm going to put myself forward. The women applied when they met 100%, not before, not 99, 100. So that was so powerful for me to think that men have this 40% gap to play with and they actually see it as an opportunity. Even if we had a 1% gap, we would see it as a problem and a barrier. Yeah, And that was the the piece of information that, that really propelled me into writing the book. Well, that and COVID because pandemic equals lots of time to write.
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> mm.
1: Oh, wow. That's fascinating. And it's actually played out with us, I think, because we mm-hmm. both had the same amount of experience in sound production, which is none right. when it came to recording <laughs> Podcast, I was like, I haven't got a clue. We'll have to get somebody. Who do we know? And Omar was like, Well, I'm going to teach myself how to record it.
2: Uh, Ah, there you go. Case in point. Yeah.
3: Yeah. It's a a good piece of evidence for my support of the patriarchy. We get stuff done.
1: (laughs) Here he goes with the patriarchy again. Ali, will you you
2: gag this man? Put a sock down his throat. (laughs) Omar and his patriarchy.
3: Well, this, this must be something that you see a lot over your years on, on, on the two forms of married at first sight. The, the, the lack of confidence in women, in women especially. Is that one of the, the common things that, that comes up?
2: Yeah, it, 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 it's definitely something I see in, in relationships where, you know, you, you've got a, a couple sitting on the couch or the settee, as, as you like to call it, Omar, which I think is adorable, a couple <laughs> sitting on the settee. And, you know, quite often the the conversations we find ourselves having with the women is around finding your voice. You know, you, you are in this relationship now. You need to really speak step into that power you need to ask for your needs to be met he's not a he's not a mind reader you know you need to actually find that voice and you know this is generalizing of course but and and oftentimes with the man it it is about um listening more and allowing her that space to you know actually solve problems on her own because you don't need to do it for her and those kind of conversations
3: before we go going deeper into into those uh those topics I just want to give the listeners a bit of a background about how this uh, interview came about and ask, uh, ask you a question about that because, uh, as you said, you've been listening from since we started last year, but it was only after we'd finished doing the podcast that you got in touch with a very kind message and explained that you tried to take a step back from from social media, that you might be open to an interview in the future. And then this year, again, very kindly got in touch and we, we set this up, but that one of your concerns was talking about people specifically, specific couples. Yeah. And is that because of your background as a psychologist to seeing these people as as clients or patients? Is that is that the reasoning? That's one of the
2: reasons. Yeah, you're right. So having having a background in psychology, you know, I, I come from this philosophy of confidentiality and, you know, utmost respect for the information that someone gives me Um, so that's where I've come from obviously that's not where I am now because you know we as the experts on the couch we're not in a therapeutic relationship with the participants you know it it is more of a a coaching role a facilitation role an observation role you know Um, but I I still whilst I'm no longer working as a psychologist I still bring those professional ethics with me and it's kind of become quite innate so i consider that you know any any interaction between myself and our couples if it doesn't make it to air i'm not going to talk about it because from my perspective i feel like they haven't given me consent to talk about that but it'd be different if they did i'd be you know i'd be happy to but you know there are many a conversation i have offline um, with individuals or couples and i will never talk about that stuff Um, but then I guess the other side of it too is the whole, as you know, you mentioned social media and media, you know, particularly tabloid press, um, are very keen to take comments out of out of context and to turn them into something sensationalist. And, you know, I'm not in the business of turning gossip about an individual into clickbait. You know, I, I don't think I don't think that's cool at all all so I feel like the way I can contribute to the to the whole mass the mass hysteria so to speak <laughs> is by you know speaking more broadly you know definitely I love talking about the experiment I love it I love talking about themes that come out um in the discussions that our couples have and what conversations are now being started in people's lounge rooms I love that I love pulling out themes and going okay this happened in this microchasm of this this um you know reality tv experiment what does that mean for real life
1: oh yeah and the issues that have been brought up this series have just yeah. been huge and just yes. i i've always been a feminist i'm quite opinionated i'm quite passionate about things but i didn't realize just how incensed i was going to be sometimes and one yeah. of the one of the issues that's been brought up is this idea of um fat shaming and it was yeah. something that omar and i we we saw it differently because Omar saw it as somebody just voicing their type and I saw it very much as, oh God, more pressure on women who've had pressure throughout history to look a certain way and for their whole financial security to be based on how they look. And so we, we were kind of quite divided on that issue, I think, weren't we?
3: To a certain extent, because I do agree that there's, there's, more pressure on women, obviously, than there is on men. I think anyone who disputes that is, is stupid. Like, the, yeah. the... What, like
1: you? Because I think what you <laughs> said was we all eat shit, but it tastes different.
3: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but no, what I mean by I, that I is, can
2: see the logic there. Yeah, yeah it's like
3: <laughs> the, 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 the shit you have to eat is is the pressure of your appearance or, or uh, being a woman, whereas the shit I have to eat might be because of my race. You know? yes so it's different yeah. for everybody but just purely in terms of uh, appearance the pressure on women is a lot more but I, I sometimes felt and it's not just on this series sometimes people get bogged down on one issue and that isn't the totality of who who they are you know
1: yeah where where would you sit on finding that balance between being allowed to have a type and voice it and then hang on no this has now become fat shaming.
2: Yeah, look, I, I think types are useful to a point and then it's ve- there's a fine line between having a type and being completely closed-minded, you know, and whether that's about having some kind of prejudice against a type of person or just being really picky, it still becomes self-sabotage, you know, and it doesn't serve you. So I look at it from the perspective of how can you actually enter into this new relationship with the the biggest possibility of success, you know, and if you are coming into it with this long list of things that are absolute not negotiables, then you're not going to be successful in this experiment or in your own relationships, or in fact, in life. So I think there's something to be said for holding your type loosely, you know, having an idea about what your type might be, and maybe that relates to some important stuff like, your values and, you know, your life goals and your lifestyle and things that are important to you. But it's really important that you can have that openness to someone who might come along who's in a completely different package.
3: So when it comes to the matching process, which is, I'm sure you get a lot of criticism online. Yes,
2: absolutely. uh,
3: (laughs) which you know often often unfounded because I think people do forget about all the success stories I'm constantly reminding people of Adam and Taya Cam and Jules from Australia you know this year obviously Zoe and Jenner every year there are success stories but people always go for the ones of well he likes blondes and you've matched him with a brunette (laughs) you know like
2: that's
3: right how difficult is the matching the matching process how much play do you have within that to answer the first part of your question it is difficult it's
2: bloody difficult because there's no exact science here you know it's not like there's a formula that we can apply and therefore you know a perfect couple will pop pop out the other end I wish it was I wish I had the formula for that because I'd be a zillionaire (laughs) but it doesn't exist and we're dealing with human nature you know so there's so much gray there's so many possibilities of um, for example, different people, different partners who could be a really good compatible match for person A, you know. So it is not a black and white scientific approach. So it's very much a composite of all different data points and different perspectives. And we bring all of that information together very collaboratively and, and make a call, which, you know, is ultimately going to be a balance between, um, the the highest predictable um, compatibility and what's going to make good tally so it's a really interesting balance because quite often those two things don't always go together
1: what would you say in in your sort of vast experience what's the most important indicator of a couple's long-term success what would you look at first
2: well interest interestingly I would not say Hey, chemistry, um, because that's the assumption that a lot of people make that, you know, that's what we're after. Is there a spark at the altar? You know, um, in my experience, um, I, I would say I haven't I haven't run the numbers, but I think if, if I was to run the numbers and look at um, the number of couples with, in Max over the years who have had that instant spark um, and the success rate there would be zero correlation between those two things. Um, In fact, many couples who have that instant spark and burn bright and then, you know, fizzle out pretty quickly. It's often the slow burn, as we call it, that tends to lead to more longevity within this experiment. You know, it might be slightly different in in real life. But in terms of what would be the greatest predictor, um, I would think it would be a little combination of um, communication skills, a little cluster of skills um, that would include things like, um, so we, we touched on it before, that flexibility and adaptability, so openness. And within that little subset is acceptance as well. So a bit of acceptance for who this person is and, you know, some compromise and willingness to bend and flex a little bit. So important as a starting point, particularly in this experiment, because there's so much pressure. You know, you really need to be able to bend otherwise you'll snap. So that's really important. I mean, a big one you hear us talk about so often is conflict resolution. And you know, what what is each um, partner's fi- fight style? You know, are they someone who needs to run away and go into the cave for a time, and is the other person someone who runs toward the person and keeps talking and keeps talking, and the other ones in the (laughs) cave saying, "Give me some space." They're going, but I need to unpack this a bit more. You know, we see this, we see that combination quite often, and of course, in real life, we see that a lot as well. But then there's couples, and you know, you as I'm talking through these, you you can probably um, visualize, you know, different members of the the current most recent maps. group um, who played out this way and then you might get a couple who are both have a fight style where they move towards and they attack and go into sort of fight mode and of course that's not going to work either so the couples who have a complementary um fight style but also that willingness to listen to the other person's needs. So to give them space if that's what they need, or to sit down and go through the problem in an itemized way if that's what they need, to take some time out, come back, work together through some to some kind of resolution. That's that, that little set of skills there is
3: just so so important. Do you think that how do I phrase this? Because I don't want to be as awkwardly a-
2: as possible. <laughs> yeah
1: take
3: your time um, yeah. <laughs> do you think because i saw something from from paul basically that said that women are almost trained to date because women will talk to each other about dating and debrief and talk about we had an argument and i did this and he did that whereas men won't do that men'll just you know go on a date and not even tell their mates or any, anything like that. Do, yeah. you, do you think that that gender divide is is relevant when it comes to those kind of uh, conflict resolution issues?
2: I'd like to think that it's changing. You know, that is, um, I mean, obviously, that that's reductive, and it's quite a um, old school way of looking at things. I, I would like to hope that, that our men have moved on. And certainly, you know, I mean, I'm an old Gen Xer, but, you know, certainly the the Ys and the Zs and the, oh, I can't even say it, millennials <laughs> um, are starting to show up a bit differently. You know, there is more openness to having those chats about what's happening on that emotional level and a bit more openness to sharing and getting vulnerable. So I'm an optimist. I like to think that, you know, whilst men, are not at the, the same place that women are and probably never will be. Um, I think that the, the men of the world need a little bit more credit because I think they're starting to make some good
3: progress toward that. See, men deserve some credit, Kelly. Yeah,
1: <laughs> <laughs> a lovely cup of tea, to be fair. So.
3: In a, in a little, little Miss Sunshine mug.
1: <laughs> oh, cheers. I've got my tea here cheers. as well.
2: <laughs> cheers, love's.
3: So, uh, what I wanted to follow up on as well was going back to the matching process. Mm. Another thing Paul mentioned actually was the difficulty of casting being that there's always accusations of people come on this this show and other shows because they want the celebrity. So actually, yeah. although you might get more applicants, the pool of applicants is smaller because you don't want them all to be on it for Instagram fame.
2: Yeah, it's, it's definitely a challenge that becomes a little bit more tricky every year. You know, and and I would say, um, you know, this is my 11th season, and I would say this particular issue didn't really start to rear its head until probably three or four years ago. You know, it's it's a very now problem um, as our audience becomes more sophisticated and as our audience starts to see the post-max experience and, you know, with social media and tabloid media, um, our alumni are often, you know, playing out their lives in that media space, and a lot of people look at that, you know, and through rose-colored glasses and think, "Wow, they're so glamorous, and they've got these deals, and they do collabs with very sexy brands, and they live this life, and it's all very aspirational." Um, and of course, there's the blue tick in the mix as well, and you know, people are really, really a bit starstruck by that so our job does become harder every year because it's so important that we can try to weed that out and make sure that you know the people who are coming into the experiment are there for and I'm going to use air quotes here the right reasons (laughs) there's so much talk about the right are they here for the right reasons but what I would also say um, is that two things can be true at the same time so I think it's really important that if someone is within the experiment and they clearly are someone who's social media savvy and you know perhaps are an influencer or aspiring influencer that doesn't mean that they don't want to fall in love as well both can be true
1: yeah one of my most favorite things about the series is watching you and how you handle yourself when there is a man on the commitment ceremony couch and you haven't quite agreed with their behavior i think you you're amazing at that and i love you dressing them down but in an articulate helpful way um there was an article today though in the sun Um, suggesting that the experts hadn't handled two of the men fairly. And I was just wondering, when stuff like that comes up, would you put that down to the editing then and what gets shown and what doesn't?
2: Yeah. Look, it's, it's such a... I've got a very strange job. (laughs) Let's be honest. This is not a normal job. Normal people don't do this job. It's very odd. Um, You know, we we put all of this work in for for months and months on camera and don't see any of it until another person we've never met edits it and puts it on the telly and we can then watch it. You know, it is so bizarre. And, you know, every... Commitment ceremony could last, you know, six, eight, ten hours, um, you know, and in Australia we film them at night. So, you know, we like the night before last I, I got to bed at 4am, you know, it's it is, It's really, there's a lot of footage that is happening and each couple will sit on the couch with us, depending on what's going on in their life, you know, it can be, it can be over an hour, you know, we've, we've had them there for two hours before and that is constant us coaching, asking questions, listening, offering suggestions, suggestions, challenging, holding the mirror up, all of that. And, you know, what you're going to see as is, is that end result are the key storylines. You know, there will be stories just, just like you would have with, you know, an, a documentary, for example. But you'll pull out the key story that you want to tell about a couple and that's what will be presented. So you don't always even get the best bits, you know, you get the bits that are relevant to the story. So I've learned that over the years and I don't take that personally anymore <laughs> because I could understand why, you know, it's about telling a couple story and, you know, presenting it in the most logical way possible. That's going to help the audience understand why they do the things that they do. Um, and look, we we did receive some some backlash after last night's reunion, um, and and that did come up. And and look, all I can really say is that so much more happened. And you know, to your point, Kelly, yes, I do call men to task. I I, I call women to task as well. You don't always see that, you know. Um, you know, I have been accused of being biased before because of an edit. In fact, it led to a great backlash um, against me in Australia and. It, it, it was very serious for a while there, you know, death threats and things like that. Um, yeah, but that's years ago. That, <laughs> that's, that's four years ago now. Um, but now I, I guess I'm one step removed from it. You know, I can look at it in a different way and see that, you know, for example, I read that article in The Sun as well and the way I look at that is, okay, it, I can see why the audience might think that because they see a certain amount of time allocated to addressing this man's behaviour but only a small amount of time allocated to addressing the other man's behaviour. So it looks like we're favouring one over the other, but trust me, I don't let him off the hook.
3: (laughs) Is that a change you would like to see going forward in future series then? Just more time, more time, just to show a more uh, comprehensive view of what's been discussed. Is that something you'd like to see in future series?
2: Yeah, well, look, it's in the UK, the series is getting bigger year on year. You know, this year we had 30 episodes. Um, In Australia at the moment, we sit at around 40 episodes. So there's definitely scope, you know, for it to to get bigger. And, you know, in, in Australia, all of our episodes are 90 minutes, for example. I think there are only 60 there in the UK, aren't they? So, you know, there's definitely scope. Um, and precedent, you know, for, for this show to be bigger and longer and to go into more depth. So, yeah, I, I think I think that will be the way we'll be heading and, you know, more opportunity to see more of what we do with our couples because I know that the audience love that. They're very curious about what we actually do.
1: So something that Omar and I have ruminated on and are fascinated by is how you guys, you experts, only get to see the dinner parties and obviously the commitment ceremonies but you're involved in them and it's yes how hard is it trying to analyze the behavior and the relationships when you're only seeing that one evening is it really tricky mm.
2: <sighs> it's hard but I think we've found a way to work within that parameter so I I go back to my time as a therapist so I, I would sit in my office and a person or a couple would come in and sit with me and I would see them for one hour and I would make all of my assessments and judgments based on that experience of sitting in front of them so if they demonstrate behavior there I can call them out on it I'm not at home with them for the week before you know I'm not hiding in the cupboard, watching them. I don't have <laughs> hidden cameras as much as I might like to. <laughs> I don't have the, the privilege of seeing all of that. I only have what they present to me. So that's, that's the way I look at it, you know, and when you sort of look at it through that lens, it makes sense that we, we will only comment on what we see. I think, you know, and I have heard Paul talk about this and he I know he gets very frustrated that he doesn't get to see more you know, what happens before we can, so we can have a fuller picture to talk to the couples there. And I, I do get that. I really do. But to me, that would be a different show. You know, that is that is a different premise. You know, I mean, this this experiment is very much based on the idea that, that we come in and we see that snippet of that, you know, period of time while they're right in front of us and we are with them in the moment. Um, you know, it's not a documentary where we're, you know, sort of watching them in the fishbowl, Sort of big brother style. That, that that would be an interesting show, but it would be a different show. That that's sort of how I
3: see it. Uh, I actually have a have a question from my wife, who uh, sure, who uh, tell she, me,
1: Claire, what does Claire want to know?
3: <laughs> oh, oh, she'll be pleased. That, you know, I, that's to be fair. I talk about Rolla do. Sand. <laughs> you do. do. So she she
1: deserves to be talked about. All yeah, the time. yeah, uh, I'm sure she does.
3: She's sometimes all right. Um, <laughs> She works for uh, child adult mental health services uh, for the NHS oh, right uh, so Good. she does a lot of uh, therapeutic sessions with kids especially and mm-hmm. uh, she, her question was how do you manage your own anger that you surely must feel when you, you're talking with people who are not taking on board what you're saying and, and often you know again just to bring it back to the men who are often very defensive and and coming back at you a bit. How do you manage your own your own anger in those situations?
2: Claire, you're a legend What a great <laughs> question woman love it great question because it is very real, and we do need to debrief ourselves as well, you know so that the three of us will sort of you know we we come off the set and have a good chat, download together and say, "Oh wow, that happened, How did that feel?" You know that's a really, really important part of it is to to be able to do that downloading you know straight after. And then I have a wonderful support network, so I have an awesome hubby. Shout out to Gareth. <laughs> <That's
1: laughs> He's like a the Welsh keeper. name, actually. He's Northern Irish. Oh well, they stole the name from the Welsh. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, controversial. Oh
2: yes, okay. Do you hear that, all the Northern Irish people out there? <laughs> oh, you're going to start a riot. <laughs> Um, so yes, having having him is so helpful, but I've got to say it's tricky for us, Gareth and I being in different time zones. I haven't got that, you know, my, my mate, my teammate on the end of the, the phone when I need him because, you know, he's often asleep. But now that I'm doing these late nights, like literally the night before last, I, I got home from a commitment ceremony. It was 3am. He was awake. So it was great. I got to debrief there. <laughs> so that's, the informal stuff is the informal debriefing which is so so important and of course remember we're in this massive cone of silence so we are quite limited in you know who we can kind of go and chat to about what's going on in the show but then formal supervision is a really important part so you know I have some incredible mentors um and you know very experienced so one psychologist in particular who I can go to and say okay this really complex thing came up help me work through it or I've got these ideas of how I could tackle person A, what do you think? You know, and so I've I've got those sounding boards that mean I don't feel like I'm just sort of floating there on my own. And I guess the other thing to be said is I have a rather expressive face. So in those moments when when I'm uh, not exactly on board with with someone, you know about it, (laughs) to hide. I don't have a poker face at all
3: it's amazing for me taking the taking the photographs for for putting on twitter and everything everyone's got such an expressive face but especially when when they come to when we come to commitment ceremonies uh and the the whole size debate that came up um when it cut cut to you i had three or four great pictures (laughs) of you one of which i may well use to promote this (laughs)
2: Yes, yeah, do it! Oh, there've been some hilarious memes of my facial expressions over the years. Trust me, that's that's not new to me, and I love it. I love laughing at myself. <laughs> don't take myself too seriously. And look, I do. I don't hide the fact that you know, like you, Kelly, I am a feminist through and through, and you know, I have very strong views about you know gender politics and and how communication plays out between either between men and women or, you know, even in same-sex couples as well. You know, I have very strong views about the power dynamics, you know, and you certainly saw that in the last season of Maths UK as well, very strong views. So, you know, I've got to to be very aware. I do need to check myself sometimes to make sure that I am being balanced because I can, if I let myself go, I can be a little bit too focused on, you know, damn the patriarchy.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Well, Claire's, Claire's way of dealing with it, uh, seemed to be to punch me and start, yep. start physical
2: yeah. assault. Good yeah. start. Yep, that
3: screaming at <laughs> screaming at the TV. I had to remind that I'm not Kwame. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yep, got it. <laughs> it's a really interesting point that though, being mindful of your of your own views. I went through a bit of a had a bit of a story arc myself this time because there was something that I had had a really strong response to. And it was, yeah. it, the idea that came up was that there's a certain way to talk about sex and there's a certain way that women should be allowed yes. to talk about sex. And I um, very, very flippantly made a comment like, he's safe. He's a big boy. He can run away. And um, yeah. and I shouldn't have made that comment because actually it was then used as sort of proof that I didn't believe that men could be raped. But anyway, I, um, I actually I thought, no, I'm going to clear up my thinking on this because I... You know, I like you have very strong views, but so I got in touch with a friend who actually works for a a rape charity, and I Mm -hmm. said, "Look, clear this up for me." She's saying stuff; he's not comfortable with it. Is that? And she went, "That's very clearly a a consent issue." So I had to change my thinking on that. But has there been an issue throughout your sort of maths history where it's made you rethink your views on something?
2: Oh. Absolutely. I I mean, I'd almost say every season something comes up that presses my buttons, you know. Um, I I mean, I find I'm more than ever now um, that I'm more more experienced and more comfortable in the role. I find I'm sitting in that chair and I'm 50-50. professional male and personal male you know and I'm bringing all of my humanness you know to to that table as well yeah and I and I'm I'm very comfortable doing that now it's taken a long time to get to this point um and I I love that I'm I'm allowed to do that, you know, that I'm empowered to do that by the producers. They're, they're very, you know, supportive in that way um, in the UK. So I, I find there's there's often one big issue, um, and it's not always the most popular storyline. You know, sometimes it is something that's a little bit more subtle, but I find there is always something big that is essentially a a, a often about. Gender politics or maybe it's about consent or maybe it's about um you know if I just revel off some that have come up we've had fat shaming we've had revenge porn we've had consent um we've had loads of um girl um girl code, boy code violations and what that means you know um that's That's a very popular one. Um, You know, we've had loads, loads and loads of gaslighting. You know, we've had all of these things that, you know, people at home experience. And I I think if this show can perform one function, and that is to give people at home some language um, and some, some tools around having those conversations, then, you know, I think our, our work is done. And that's what, you know, you asked before what I'd like to see more of, um, you know, what I'd like to see more more of, you know, the, the coaching and so on. What I would like you to see more of is the actual um, intervention that we do. You know, quite often what plays out is a lot of, you know, what what's the storytelling, so us sort of pulling out the story from the couples, which, of course, is really important, but what you often don't get to see, and it's just sort of a time thing, I guess, is what we then do with that information and how we hand it back to them in the, in the, in the form of, you know, really specific, here's your challenge for this week kind of conversation.
3: I think another thing which has come up uh, with this current cast, even though there was a same-sex couple for the first time last year on, on the UK version, having mm. two this year, just on our small slice of social media, I've seen the, the discussion and sometimes outright bigotry that 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 uh, generates. But I've got to applaud like married at first sight on having uh, the same-sex couples because Love Island basically it's frequently criticized for its lack of its lack of sexual yeah, yeah. diversity. So I do think it's important that those those topics are brought up. It's not really a question, I suppose, but how 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 important is it to you to have the have the same-sex couples on that?
2: Absolutely top of my priority, um, as is diversity around race and age and political persuasion. You know, I think this our cast, our current cast this year in, in Maths UK, I'm I've just been so invigorated by observing the dynamics going on there and I've been personally challenged you know on on a couple of occasions in terms of just my own experience you know dealing with someone who maybe is from outside of my experience and I need to you know make sure that I'm speaking to them in the right way that is going to help you know bring out their best I think there's a long way to go but we can do more of this and what I'm loving about working with the, the UK production team around maths is there's this real Enthusiasm for diversity and bringing in that richness of, you know, that social dynamic that can happen in a diverse group that you don't get from, you know, other shows that are all sort of, you know, what do they say, white, hetero, cis, you know, very, very bland, a bit like me, you know, (laughs) bland.
3: (laughs) If I can have a a follow up with that, actually, because I spoke to Zoe recently and she said Mm. that. she was concerned going back to the type issue that oh are the experts really going to give me the type that I want oh are they going to hide behind they're giving me what I need not what I want did you have to uh, do some research or uh, broaden your way of thinking when dealing with same-sex couples or was it just a case of people are people you've got the tools?
2: It's a great question, and I did hear Zoe talk about this, you know, and, and you know, she, she 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 self-identifies as a more mask or a more masculine presenting woman, and she's really attracted to feminine presenting women, you know, she's openly talked about that so you know I'm quite happy to sort of repeat that and I'm sure she'd be happy with me saying that too. Um, Yes, this is a completely um, different category of um, matching, you know, when it comes to, you know, the, the queer space because, you know, of course, you know, if we think about guys, some are tops, some are bottoms, you're not going to put two tops together. That is the most ignorant thing to do, you know. So I'm very aware of this and, you know, when it comes to, you know, people of, of mixed race or different race from a partner, what is that going to mean for them culturally, What is that going to mean for them in terms of how comfortable they're going to be opening up to this person? Or, you know, a massive age gap, you know, what's that going to mean? So, you know, these are all considerations. Are people just people? Yes. But when it comes to the queer community, there is a different set of needs. And so, you know, to your point, we do take consultation from, you know, leaders in in the queer community and we'll continue to do that because, you know, as a a cisgendered um, straight woman... I don't necessarily know everything there is to know about, you know, matchmaking in the queer community and I'm not going to pretend that I do. I'm actually incredibly open to learning about it, but I want to I hear it from people who actually have that lived experience.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you mentioned there about sort of the trickiness of matchmaking. I, I, this fascinates mm. me as well. Do you, Paul and Charlene, ever disagree when you're matchmaking people? What do you think? I think... Not that much. I'm interested
2: in how much you see. We we do disagree. Um, and I'm just, I'm not sure how much of that actually comes across. Um, no, it doesn't seem po- like you disagree,
1: does it? No. It seems like a united yeah. front.
2: Like
3: Yeah, it seems. Yeah. You, it goes around the table and you say, she's got family values. She's got family values. Oh, Welcome in the me.
2: matchmaking scenes. <laughs> I'm talking more broadly, like across oh. the whole... Thing, you know we we do disagree because if you think about the three of us not only do we come from three different continents we have three very different professional backgrounds as well so we're an incredibly diverse panel as well and you know quite often we will look at things very differently <laughs> that's
1: amazing that's how do you resolve yeah. how do you what, what's your fight style for resolving it <laughs> are you counseling me <laughs> Well, I think, okay, what's our fun style? I
2: guess um, I, I can probably be a bit too combative. I think that there's a learning for me. I think I need to probably calm my farm a little bit. Um, Paul, Paul's very diplomatic, um, but he does get passionate as well. And I feel like Charlene's the most diplomatic out of the three of us. I think she's a great equaliser. Paul and I get a bit more fiery.
3: Yeah. <laughs> I think I might have. Yeah. I think I might have... Yeah. yeah, having seen your facial expressions as we <laughs> talked about before, <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah,
2: you have def-
3: definitely yeah. seen you ready to jump across the gap to the. To the yeah.
1: setting.
3: Uh, yes, I was going to ask as well. We spoke to Charlene about having essentially her own week, the Intimacy Week. Is that something you would you would like? Is it you know a, more tasks or more one-on-one time with the couples?
2: Yeah, I'm going to say watch this space because there's a lot of new ideas swirling around for the next season. Um, and yes, you might be onto something there, my friend.
3: Oh, I'll take a cut. That's fine. <laughs>
2: <laughs> we'll have Omar week.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I <love that. laughs> yeah. well, something I wanted to ask, we spoke about with Adrian was uh, fashion. Yes. Because you always look fantastic, and not just you, the other experts. Personally, as someone who sat here in a Adidas top, I would feel so much pressure, especially this year. <laughs> the, the, the fashion stakes just seem to keep going up and up. You don't want to be the person who turns up, as I would, in jeans, T-shirt, you know. It, is there a lot of pressure in that front? Well, I am
2: absolutely delighted to reveal that I have a secret weapon and she is my stylist by the name of Ellie Witt. And she and I work very closely together. She gets me. She absolutely gets me. And she comes around to my house with literally suitcases full of the most sensational pieces. And we have this day of just trying stuff on. It's basically every fashion lover's dream and I just get to try stuff on like I'm a big doll. It's divine. It's heaven. Absolutely heaven, and she she gets me to try things on that I would never even dream of, colours and shapes and textures and things I would never even think of because she's very creative and she gets me and my shape and my style, and so I absolutely love it. So we're keen to just, you know, up the ante every year, bring it on.
1: How big <laughs> will the podcast have to get for me to be able to afford a stay? <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
3: Well, I think we need a sponsor. We need a sponsor. Yes. We need a
1: sponsor. <laughs> we do. Yeah. That's the sponsor. next team.
3: Having listened to our podcast, uh, what advice do you have for mine and Kelly's relationship?
2: <laughs> oh, yes, I like this. So <laughs> let's take the patriarchy example, shall we? Because <laughs> that seems to be a point of contention between the two of you. <laughs> and... Kelly I'm sorry to say you're a little bit too much like me mate in (laughs) you get very passionate just like I do and even though it's it's a podcast I can tell what your face is probably doing (laughs) when I hear the passion in your voice you might just want to ask yourself if you listen to Omar's point of view enough if you are giving him space to Bring all of his manly testosterone-fueled views to the table, <laughs> because he has a right to a voice as well. Oh, and Omar,
1: that's it. I'm blocking you on social media. <laughs> that's it. Block delete. No, do you know? I that is that is my weakness. But it's my weakness in arguments in my personal relationship as well. Is
2: right. yeah, me too.
1: I think it comes from a sort of fear that I won't get my point here, So so I then, I, I sort of thrust it at Omar. And he just <laughs> has thrust. to yeah. suck it up. Um, so yeah. I totally, yes, you're right. You're absolutely right. I don't know how capable I am of change, but I will try. <laughs> <laughs> We're about to record our final episode after this. And I think everyone's going to be like, Kelly was very rational and measured this time <laughs> You got a big dose, an injection. (laughs) It'll
2: be really boring. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. No one would
1: listen. (laughs) So, one thing that I've found, Mel, is because my background's in drama and singing, and I think people would assume that I'm quite confident. But as I'm getting older as a woman, I have this little voice. I think it's, you know, my imposter syndrome saying, Mm. Who are you? at age 40 to go and try and be a stand-up comedian and age is becoming a thing for me and I I don't want it to be. So I had signed up for your your confidence masterclass and I was just wondering what advice you would give really to somebody who's, I mean everybody has a reason to feel underconfident but that's mine at the moment.
2: Yeah and it's that little voice in your head isn't it that, that says what gives you the right to do this who do you think you are everyone's gonna laugh at you and not in a good way yeah I know that voice I I have that voice too and so many of my clients do look it it really comes back to self-talk and that story that you are playing on repeat in your mind and one of the things that I find can work really well is to have to to create your own fantasies and not the kind of fantasies that Charlene talks about. (laughs) 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 These ones are not bedroom based ones or they they could be, but not necessarily, but fantasies about, positive things happening to you so a daydream about you know for you you're you're standing on stage you know you deliver your set everyone's in fits of laughter then people everyone comes up to you after afterwards and tells you what a great job you did and that they wet themselves laughing you know buying you drinks that's the outcome and to really visualize that successful outcome I mean they use this technique in sports psychology you know those outrageously successful athletes visualize themselves winning that race kicking that goal getting that hole in one months before they even you know step onto the pitch and this is something that we can we can do we can borrow from from you know the elite athletes is is that sense of um, daydreaming a rehearsal with a positive outcome and it just if you do it every day, it'll create new neural pathways. It changes your mindset and your way of thinking. And it, it just is so incredibly powerful.
1: Oh, thank you. I'm smiling just listening to that. <laughs> How can people sign up for your masterclasses? Where should they go? Well, you can now just go to my website. My,
2: my gorgeous team have just created a new, a new page on, on my website, which is just melanieshilling.com. And there's a shop page. So you can buy my book. by my audio book. I've got a whole range of different little mini courses and so on that are on there as well. And I have a series of um, little um, mini masterclasses coming up that I'm running with, different women so the first one coming up I'm running with a um, with a woman who is an actress actually who had to overcome a physical disability in order to create this incredibly successful life as an as an on-screen actress and you know I've got someone coming in to talk about um, money relationship with money you know body image all these different topics are really all these topics that women like to talk about and as they relate to confidence so they'll be coming up as well. And drum roll, please. I'm working on a podcast which will be launched in February next year. Oh, congratulations! <laughs> oh, wow. Thank you. This is exciting. This is something I'm so excited about. It's very early days, but I'm working with a fantastic team to make sure that it's just Positioned exactly right because I've got so much I want to talk about. You know, you can guarantee there will be a feminist flavor. It'll be directed toward women. It'll be about confidence, but so much more. It'll be about the stuff that women want to talk about and how that stuff can help us live a better life.
1: Oh my God, that sounds amazing.
3: I bet you'll be happy as well to be in control of the editing process of that.
2: Exactly. <laughs> That's the thing. A podcast is just mine that's it exactly that's a really good point omar because it'll just be my views edited the way i want them and you know there'll be a lot of video as well because you know with such an expressive face why would you waste
3: it? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so along with the podcast coming coming early next year we can next see you on our screens we think married at first sight australia is going to be february kind of march time is it
2: I think so. I think it'll be around March. Um, And I have some some other projects in the works as well. You know, I'm I'm a budding producer as well when it comes to TV. So I certainly have some top secret projects that are bubbling away and, and moving toward development.
3: So watch this space, guys. Thank you so much for coming on.
2: Oh, what a pleasure. I've loved every moment. Thanks, guys.